Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Vergopoulos. And this is... Do you, do you remember what the show is called? Oovra Busters. Busters. Oh, we screwed that up. It's, it's difficult to harmonize. Because we um, didn't do the Elliot Goldenthal theme as opposed to the... Danny Elfman? Danny Elfman theme because... Danny Elfman did not work on this, on this film. On film. this piece of shit? Uh, our fan, our, all of our fan can't all see of our you fan putting that in. Film? Scare um, quotes. It's good to be back. It is. It feels it's like it's been, been forever it's been since we recorded. We recorded record. a Batman Forever episode, and now we're back together. George is in Burbank. Beautiful. Burbank, Beautiful. California. I've never seen so many movie stars and Looney Tunes car- uh it's characters crazy just that strolling the you streets. You got the Animaniacs to sign your bra. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, we're they in look Burbank. really fucking haggard. They look terrible. That one guy well, is definitely in that water tower for a while. That one, that one guy is definitely on heroin. I forgot what his name is, but he looked fucking shrunk. I don't remember the Animaniacs. Out. I remember loving the Animaniacs. Speaking of Burbank, California, home of the Animaniacs, and it's also the home of where the film that we're talking about today yes, was shot. What film was that, George? We are talking about Batman and Robin from the magical year of. I don't have the year in front of me. 1997. 1997. Good work. A good year for... Um, good year for... I don't know. Air Force One, I think, came out in 1997. That's a pretty good... That's get a pretty off good, my plane. Get off my plane. And also Gary Oldman. Future uh, Gary Oldman James came out Gordon. in 1997? <laughs> Gary Oldman. He had never been released. He sprung <laughs> from the brain of Wolfgang Peterson. Hello, it's me. And Wolfgang Gary Peterson. Oldman. Wolfgang Peterson. My God, what have I given birth to? Oh, no. It must be destroyed. It's too just, good of an actor. I imagine Wolfgang Peterson. He wakes up one morning. He has a really, like, splitting migraine. He's a quick... Give me a hammer and chisel, and they crack open his head. And, and Gary, Gary Oldman comes out. He's like, "Hello, oh, I'm gonna play Winston Churchill but, one day in but, a movie that yeah. nobody saw." But first, I'm gonna be in your movie. Um, so we're talking about Batman and Robin from 1997, directed by directed by Joel Schumacher. Um, uh, this is the first film in this uh, Batman franchise with uh, produced without the involvement of Tim Burton. It was produced by Peter McGregor Scott. Oh, written by Akiva Goldsmith. Is that why they named it McGregor Syndrome in the film? Oh my God! Maybe it is. That's an interesting. Um, well, I already forgot that that was a that a that was a thing. It's probably the, the only thing I remember from the film. I um, pretty much tried to block the rest of it out. Real quick, Akiva Goldsmith um, is a writer of films. He wrote. He's written some real some real winners. 
No offense. Uh, he wrote The Da Vinci Code, The Dark Tower, The Dark Tower, the I Dark Am Tower. Legend, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, Hancock, which I think is actually kind of an underrated. Never saw it. Oh, it's pretty interesting. Um, he wrote, but he also wrote the new Picard show. The new what? Star Trek Picard. Oh, Picard. So that's interesting. He was involved with that. Um, I was curious to see the show until you said that. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Um, show run by my boy Michael Shaven. Shavens. I heard through his agent that he doesn't listen to us. The music was. The music is by Elliot Goldenthal. And then, I, his, I and like, then his agent was like, "Can you please stop sending me these emails? They're really harassing yeah, this and threatening." Is really annoying. Who are you? More to the show. Uh, music by Elliot Goldenthal, who. I think I like his. I like the later Batman score. I think I like that it's different from the previous incarnation of it. Um, and then edited by Mark Stavis, Stevens and Dennis Vilkler. I actually think the action sequence in this action sequences in this movie are really really well edited. I actually think the action sequences in this movie are pretty great. I overall. think like the third one, the first action sequence is pretty cool. Mm. Other than that, by the time the other ones kind of come in, I'm yeah. so already kind of checked out of this film that i was kind of like oh yeah these are just action sequences so do you want to give us a quick plot summary did we tell you who stars in this obviously yeah, george clooney is batman uh, well uh, not first build arnold schwarzenegger as oh, victor freeze or mr freeze yeah do you know how much you got paid for this a shit ton 25 mil good good job good on you arnold's very good which is like a million dollars per minute that he's on screen yeah exactly uh greg george Cl greg clooney greg greg Clooney's <laughs> shitty brother his non-sga like, non like, Sack, he's like sorry. the brother of the guy in the national who's like a fuck up that like can't get his <laughs> life together. You know, he's Greg the Clooney. He's the non-sag Clooney. Yeah, <laughs> we can't afford George. Get Greg. We spent all our money on on Arnold. <laughs> let's give. Let's get, we could get Greg, we'll get Greg Clooney. Clooney. Um, um, uh, no peak ER career George Clooney, which I want to talk about in his acting because you can see. The early career acting of George Clooney in this movie—he looks like a baby. Chris Seriously, <laughs> I could not believe baby. how fucking young. Chris O'Donnell as Dick Grayson slash Robin, Uma Thurman as Pamela Isley slash Poison Ivy, Alicia Silverstone as Barbara Wilson and Batgirl slash Batgirl, Michael Go as Alfred Pennyworth, which uh, I loved how much he was in this movie, even though uh, he's he, a, he's uh, a I'd central like to, part I'd of the like plot. To, I'd like to discuss a new theory I have about Batman, which is Please. late Batman films Alfred and how they're such fucking basket cases. Um, like Michael Caine? <gasps> yeah, Pat Hingle. Why are you ruining my... Oh, sorry. Pat Hingle as James... I wrote Godrun, but I think it's James Gordon. And then in the <laughs> most thankless role in maybe any Batman film or any film of all time, Elle McPherson as Julie Madison. I totally forgot about her. Yeah, yeah, because it's terrible. Um, do you want to give a quick summary of this movie? So Batman and Robin um, team up Excuse to me. face. You better apologize uh, uh, to face to take on. Uh, Mr. Freeze, off. who is attempting to steal a diamond, a ridiculous diamond, in order to freeze Gotham City. Doesn't really make much sense. Eventually, also what happens is that Uma Thurman's character, Dr. Isley, turns into Poison Ivy after Dr. Woodrow attempts to Played murder by John her. Glover, who's fucking great. He's in great movie. in this. After she kind of uncovers that he's attempting to develop super soldiers for all of these notorious, notorious evil evil dictators mm -hmm. across the planet which is great too because it, it cuts the scene and you see kind of like here's our Castro looking guy like here's our like ussr looking guy this movie is <laughs> like, ripe for a political discussion and we'll get there um and in so that super soldier obviously is also bane who mm -hmm. is a very weird kind of like character in this film and long story short batman and robin are kind of driven apart by 
poison, poison ivy's um love juice love love love, love, love cloud love potion love cloud a new clone from uber yeah. busters and uh we also get alicia silverstone as you said as uh, Barbara Wilson. Is Barbara it? Wilson. Yeah. Um, niece who shows up? Who's niece of Alfred? Alfred, who, by the way, is suffering from an uh, Alfred is suffering from a syndrome called McGregor, McGregor syndrome, which is what also Freeze's wife had, and what kind of also led him to attempt to save her. Uh, but in the process of trying to save her, he fell into a vat of really cold stuff. Fell into a vat of ice. <laughs> Or something, and he turned into Mr. Freeze. This film is very clearly inspired by the 1960s Batman show, as Batman and Forever was before it, and the work of Dick Sprang, who is a comic writer and illustrator yeah, in the golden age of comics. And uh, actually, a really interesting guy. This is not the forum to talk about it, but sort of an interesting guy and played a major role in DC Comics. And long story short, uh, Batgirl eventually teams or finds out who uh, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson really are. Mm. The team for they team up and they defeat uh, Mr. Freeze and Poison, Poison Ivy. and they don't kill either of them, which is kind of interesting. They None don't of the, kill n- either the villains of them. Do not and die and they sort of one. if there's something interesting about this movie is that there is a bit of a redemption arc right. for Mr. Freeze, which I think is interesting because basically he so he's kind of like a very sympathetic character. And I think Arnold actually does a decent job in this film, aside from all the terrible puns. Oh no, he's amazing! It's stop it. He's so great at delivering those. He's puns. never fucking. I mean, he obviously knows what he's doing. Arnold is a sneaky, absurd. funny, funny guy. Yeah, he could be funny. And I think some of that comes across in this. But man, the puns are just terrible. So let's... let's, let's um, so wait, sorry. Let's just say oh, the, the redemption thing too. So basically what happens is at the very end... This is a, the longest plot description for... Like, no, you're not. just going... You're just no, going... Not, going not, just, not, just keep going. Just keep going. Where... This is why Liam moved 3,000 miles away from me. Where... um. Yeah, because our, uh, Alfred is suffering from McGregor syndrome. Batman asks uh, Freeze to help him find a cure, or at least for stage one, McGregor syndrome is what Alfred has, and he basically gives him the antidote. And, yes. he, says, and he says, "Take two of these and call me in the morning." Take Terrible two of these pun. and call me in the morning. It's great. And Alfred is saved. The end. Um, let's get rid of the al- uh, the. Let's get to the elephant in the room of this. Uh, George, what do you think of this movie? I hated this. You movie. don't like it. I fucking hate okay. it. Although uh, we also briefly spoke about uh, how we would talk about this film. And to say, yeah, I mean, to not just spend an hour shitting on it. acknowledged as a piece of shit. And one of the so worst films just, potentially of all time. Let's, and that's ridiculous. That's people who say that haven't seen enough movies, and it's a stupid <laughs> thing to say. Quick, name one worst film. The Rise of Skywalker. Oh um, my god! So, Hot take. But let's. As I sip so from my Star Wars, mug. I think we should. <laughs> that's a Force Awakens. Liam mug. has a Force Awakens mug that I'm literally drinking coffee. Um, it's great. Let's talk about the fact. So, so we've we've sort of agreed that. And and I think universally people have agreed that this is a crappy movie. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and say that we're we're there with that. We know that's true. That's fine. Blah 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 blah. Fine. But I'm gonna go ahead and say that. And I and I, I was I was chatting with our with our previous co-host Sean Mannion about this via Twitter the other day or not via Twitter, but via actual conversations. And I wanted to offer up something that Sean said that I think is very, 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 very good. Um, which is, what does he say exactly? <laughs> Here it is. Um, we were ta- I was talking about the fact that, and I was trying to find this tweet. I was talking about the fact that this movie is interesting and it sucks. Sean's point was it's interesting because it sucks. 
and we were and I sort of That's, said something to yeah. the effect of um one thing I I like about these films and I miss about the that I think is uh, is somewhat wrong with the Nolan and the later Nolan films and I love I like those movies too is that serious superhero movies and to quote Sean are honestly more of an absurdity than the goofy dumb shit like Batman and Robin and I think that this movie is not very good but there are really interesting things about it and I think ultimately it gets a bum rap because it doesn't take itself too seriously. And I think that politically it's important that it doesn't take itself too seriously because I think the Nolan films, as good as they are, have like more problematic points of view than this does and are ultimately like set off a chain reaction in terms of superhero that leads us to the logical conclusion of Joker. Like Christopher Nolan legitimized superhero movies and maybe superhero near superhero movies do not need legitimacy. And I think it's created a, a problematic mm. culture that well, I wish we didn't have to contend with. Well, legitimacy though here just simply means serious or at least kind of highbrow well, or people high-minded. Take them, people that watch them and take them seriously as like works of, of art. And in some ways, sure. sure, fine. I get that. But like, I think the second Nolan film probably did that more than the first one because of Heath Ledger. Yes, well, yeah, I think that's true. And I also think that, like, he was attempting to make, like, a crime opus. He was trying to make heat. It's very well acknowledged. That opening scene is incredible. So, um, this movie isn't great. Let's let's talk about some things. And I don't know if you want to respond to No, what I do I want to respond to that. And I think I said right before we started recording, we spoke about this a little bit, and this is why, in an interesting sort of way, obviously the films, you have to kind of process them chronologically because that's how they were released. But yeah. it's interesting to think, again, about how the Burton films are the synthesis of basically the Schumacher films and the Nolan films, even though they came out first. And by okay. that, I mean that, again, they're this perfect mixture of the camp with the seriousness mm-hmm. in a way that the Schumacher and the Nolan films are not. So if the Schumacher films were attempting to like completely exercise the seriousness or the darkness that you find in then the, Burton, the films. Burton films, then the Nolan films are totally about eradicating the campiness that are in the Schumacher films. Right. So in a weird way, the Burton films, even though, again, they came out first, are the perfect synthesis of the two visions of this character that came out afterwards. Well, and I think that you made the point, I think, in a previous episode or maybe just in conversation, that they're not particularly good. And I actually haven't even seen Justice League. But there's a point in the movie where someone says to Superman, what's your super... Or, sorry, to Batman, what's your superhero power? And he says, I'm rich. I'm rich, yeah. Which is like also a great bit of humor in like a in the world that we live in now i don't think there's a perfect take on the character because i think that the burton films may want you at times wanting something more serious like i definitely think there was part of me that when the nolan films came out and i was really into them well the first two at least i was like oh i'm this is missing from the nolan films but now when i watch the burton films i'm like god or I watch the Nolan films, I'm like, oh, I really miss what the Burton films had to say. So, like, we're, we're sort of talking big picture here, and that's that's not necessarily, like, the best approach to this. But it definitely got me thinking that I think these movies get a bad rap, and they're bad. They're not very good. I think we've kind of agreed on that. But there is some things that I think are interesting about them, and I want to talk no, about what the, those are. And, we'll, we, and we will talk about them. And there are interesting things about this, especially, I think, the Poison Ivy character, or the villains in particular. Yeah, so I think the, the movie's commentary on millionaires and climate change is actually pretty good. But let me ask you something. Don't you also think that in some sort of way you are not you, generally speaking, or kind of like or people are trying to find something redeemable in something that is just simply aesthetically bad. And that doesn't necessarily mean that... There, I don't uh, there agree that it's aesthetically bad. There isn't something that interesting here. 
The production design in this movie is off the charts sure. good. It's great. It's as good as the Burton films in a very, very different way. It is. I'm not, but I'm not saying that overall that that redeems a terrible screenplay. It's or a bad terrible screenplay. Terrible acting. Who's bad in the movie? I think Alicia Silverstone is really bad. Alicia Silverstone is not very good. It's not that she, I don't want to say she's bad. I find her and Chris O'Donnell stuff to be very unconvincing. Totally, I find Chris yeah. O'Donnell to be less convincing in this movie than the previous than one. he was in the previous. We do movie. know we do find out right away that he's horny as fuck. Horny as fuck. Wants and to it, fuck. And he just wants to fuck. And I think horniness is a really interesting and uh, I mean horniness is always homoerotic. Horniness is always really interesting, and the, <laughs> there's there's a lot of homoeroticism in this movie that yes. Um, was criticized when it came out and we can talk about that a little bit i think schwarzenegger knows what movies he's, he's making i think he's great agreed i think uma thurman is great in this agreed and even though she's like working she's like fighting uphill against a ter- terrible writing and i but i the, the bane character and not that i care about the bane character as like oh my god this is an authentically mm. bane i just mean what they do with that character is so yeah but what's like, what's stupid. again what's more absurd this kind of like meathead guy that repeats the last word he hears or like oh it doesn't matter who it we are matter. what matters is our plan no it's don't awful. don't put the fucking character in the film is what i'm saying okay fine yeah. well then don't put him in any of the films because he sucks He's great in the comic uh, book. I love Tom he's great Hader. In the comic I love Tom Hardy. Book. Yeah, but he's ta- that movie. Oh, I can't wait till we talk about that, that movie. movie. I remember that movie being shit. It's shit. It's really. It's a like an astonishing uh, like epic achievement with so many like so many things wrong with it. I remember, yeah, I remember hating it, but it's been a while since I've seen it. I've only seen it once. I've seen it two or three. I saw it three times in the theater because I wanted to find something to like about it. So what's interesting about this film? Should we start um, with the villains? Let's start with the villains. Go. So Uma Thurman, eco terrorist, love eco-terrorist. it. Eco terrorist. Uh, I wrote totally down, my down notes, with it. The villains in this movie are right. Well, they're almost always. Right. <laughs> they're almost, but they're particular. Well, in Which some is, ways they are, and they aren't. Like the Riddler, the Riddler has the Riddler just hates Bruce Wayne. Okay, that's kind of right. He's fine about yeah. it. He's a well, no, I, right. I was primarily thinking about Killmonger and Black Panther. Who you know, you're sitting there and you're kind of hearing what he has well, to say. Well, he's not the villain, and the movie acknowledges that. To oh, some I totally extent. disagree. I, I mean, he, I mean, he's there, yes, there is a little bit of. It's been a while since I've seen that as well. Uh, questions about like brotherhood and how they're related and how they're perhaps not as different as they yes. might appear to be. But well, it's also very he, particular to the kind of the themes that that movie is dealing with in terms of like, I would say like a pan-Africanism versus sort of a whatever the op, whatever whatever Panther represents. You know what I mean? Yeah, in that context. No, yeah, sure. But also again, that he's still clearly the bad guy that needs to yeah. be. Yeah, and I think it's with. a little out of the pay grade of what we're talking about here because I think. So when we talk about the what what are ultimately are every, is every Batman movie kind of about? I think it's ultimately about like a vision for Gotham, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Like the most interesting thing about Batman comic books is is Gotham as a city, right? To mm. some extent, and there's actually I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but to your point, there's actually an amazing. I don't know if it's an amazing scene, but there's the beginnings of a great scene in this movie, which is the scene where Pamela Isley slash Poison Ivy confronts. Dr. Woodrow. Doctor, no, confronts Wayne. Oh, Wayne at the end, yeah. Not at the oh, end. Not, sorry, not at the end. It's Halfway like through. It's like midway through yeah, when yeah, he's yeah. introducing the, tele, the new telescope. And she basically says something like, no, like... She says, don't look to the stars, look to the earth. Don't look to the stars, look to the earth. The people are the problem. And his response is, people above all else. Yeah. Well, he also says something about... She shows him a vial that has the, like, the Wayne logo on it. Yes. From... These experiments that they were doing, obviously, like somewhere in the jungle. In the Brazil. And he says something like, oh, we, um, we're we no longer invested in that because we we weren't ideologically, which I think is exactly what Ideologically he aligned. We weren't ideologically aligned with what was going on there. Which was the, cre- the turning of people into super soldiers. 
I believe so. Yes, it, it was exactly that. And she and she says something to the effect of, um, but like humans are ruining the planet. And his response is people first. Bruce Wayne yeah. is a, and this isn't why he is, but one of the things that this movie does better than the others, there's real, I don't know if there's class commentary, but Gotham in this movie is portrayed as a city of millionaires and wealthy people who go mm-hmm. to fancy events. And Bruce Wayne is a piece of shit in this movie. Like more, more, than so, the, more so than the other movies. Yeah. I mean, also like whether it's intentional or not, he sucks. Do you think that movie. also comes across in the way he treats Al McPherson's character? It's way, well, there's a, there's a point he's and he's and God bless George Clooney. And I don't mean to be negative Nelly because I don't want to do this in the show, but there's, and this is, this is, I think He'll a, survive, a problem the of the writing and the God bless God bless George Clooney. The writing and the direction is that at some point someone's like, "When are you going to get married, Bruce?" And he has a line where he's like, "Marriage, marriage, marriage, marriage." You want to yeah. help me out here? And you're like, "Oh, this is terrible." Yeah, he's terrible to her. He's kind of terrible. His arc in the movie is to learn to trust and be part of a family, but he doesn't. He's just like seems like really. I think one thing that they did with the Val Kilmer is they tried to make him kind of like a and whether you think this is a billionaire kind of philanthropist, which is like right. You know, uh, we're in the throes of Mike Mike Bloomberg's presidential campaign oh, right God, now, so we're thinking us, about that. But he, one of the things that makes Keaton so good as Bruce Wayne, at least to me, is that he's a total weirdo. Yes, yeah, and an oddity. He and wears almost it like he's not. Well. He doesn't seem his wealth is not something that he's like flouting or things a big thing whereas i like increasingly i f- and val kilmer is somewhat similar but like the production design and the design of this movie like really suggests his opulence and his wealth in a way that like it's almost like he's new rich in the later batman films where in the early ones he's like old rich in yeah. a weird way no you're right though. i mean it's interesting to think about also what wayne manor looks like in the first film so for example one of the first scenes is when Vicky Vale walks into that room and there's like all that weird armor. Yeah. And that's obviously kind of also meant to represent Batman's own armor, but also just how all that stuff looks like grotesque mm-hmm. and so fucking weird. And you're right in this one there's a certain kind of lavishness to everything. Yes. That yeah, that weirdness is kind of it's not there. Yeah, and it, it, he's I think that like But it looks bland it's too. It's funny because I think he's like there's never been a less sexualized Bruce Wayne than the Bruce Wayne that appears in this movie. He's just kind of like devoid of any and like, but the Batman is sexualized. Yes. And that's interesting too, but it's not like you don't see like one thing I, I like about the Keaton character in the first one is that like, he's kind of a regular looking dude and like he gets it on with Vicky Vale in that movie. And then he gets it on with Michelle Pfeiffer in the second movie there's no getting on. No one gets on in this movie. Like, well, they try to get they on. They try to get on, but it never really happens. They're just and constantly like, edging. He just seems so like desexualized a little. Well, it's funny because isn't he also like walking around a lot in the mansion, like robes or what look like really long? Like he's kind of almost like doing like a Howard Hughes kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, not always, but and it's it's a weird it's a weird performance. Clooney was shooting this on the weekends while Whoa. shooting ER. Huh. And like, so they were like moving him from set to like he'd shoot four days on ER and then he would shoot Thursday, Friday. Or he'd shoot Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then, like, be back at ER on Mondays. And, like, he's just, like, there's one thing you can see in his performance, Clooney, because of this, the rate that he had to, And you see this in Three Kings, too, in his early career. The rate he had to which he had to memorize dialogue, you could see him remembering it. He'd, like, look down a lot. Like, mm. a lot of his early performances are characterized by him doing a lot of looking down and not looking people in the eye because he's trying to remember dialogue. And, like, he was open about that. And I you like can this. see it in this performance. This is, like, before... Clooney's pretty good in From Dust Till Dawn, which came out two years before this. But... 
he's just maybe it's that he's so fucking famous or that he's an overworked actor but he never really gets he never stops just being George Clooney. Right. Which I think he doesn't he gets inhabit better the character later in his career. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he's no longer on ER. But I like the idea that he has like these like etch a sketch uh, like shoes that he has to like keep on writing his like his <laughs> yeah. dialogue and he keeps looking down. I like the idea that he's like, wait, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. <laughs> Who you am I? The line, he's like, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. <laughs> wait, Robin? Robin? <laughs> oh, this oh, line. My etch a sketch is line. smudged. And then he freaks out and smashes his trailer, and he's like, "You had eight whiskey sours. Why didn't you have four whiskey sours?" God damn it! God damn it! Um, like you're gonna go home tonight, and you're gonna kill yourself. <laughs> that oh. that scene gets really dark really quickly. Oh, that's a good scene. Yeah, I watched good scene. it last night. Um, we should talk about that movie at some point. We should talk about the it's fact that fucking our man Bong won all those Oscars. Bong, 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 Bong. Yeah, we live in a post-parasite winning oh, four Academy yeah. Awards world. It's incredible. Um, yeah, I think that there is really there's something to uh, this movie, and I don't know if it's commentary, but Joel Schumacher seems to be saying like the villains are more fun and they're right uh, about like the planet. All humans need to be destroyed, and then there's this billionaire sociopath who's like, no, we have to put people first, and he's like surrounded by all these like sycophants yeah. and reporters, and he doesn't trust anyone in his life. Like, I don't know if it's intentional, but to me, it feels like a little bit of commentary. Maybe, potentially. I mean, I think the, obviously now, especially now with what we know about where the planet's heading. Yeah. Um, and obviously, obviously, everything's great. Everything's great. So, yeah. Everything's just going according to plan. But also... The planet's all like, you had eight whiskey sours last night. I, I know. What the four? fuck? The planet's like, tonight, I'm going to fucking kill everybody on <laughs> the goddamn surface of this planet. Um, and it's going to be so much better. That and obviously we've known we've known about this for like decades now. Um, but this as movie more and more explicitly been re- in 1997 was like, we're, yeah, people are terrible. But it's funny, it's right? It's a kids movie. It's a kids movie, sure, no, totally. But that's where I think also like for example these kind of conversations, like the things that Sean were saying. And if I had more time to think about it, um, I maybe would have something more constructive to say. But again, the crit- the the implicit critique is always subverted by the fact that these are in fact villains. So the other thing also that you find out is that, or you find out, at some point, Poison Ivy tries to kill Victor Freeze's wife, who's in suspended animation. And obviously that clearly makes her a villain in a way that Freeze is not. Mm. So again, like the film doesn't in any sort of way suggest that she's in the right, even though we know, for example, that paying attention to what's happened to the planet and to what human beings are doing to the planet is important and reversing that shit is really important. But again, she's fundamentally a bad guy and also the fact that the film is so like me to me you're labeling her as the bad guy. i am and but also the fact that the film is clearly as you said right like this is like a a film that was clearly made for kids and Mm. it's clearly made to like sell action figures but there's some subversive stuff going on in it for kids all right like what well the the, fact that the movie i mean again i see your point like i think that i think that sometimes leaning so hard on what the narrative wants us to think does not take away from what the film might say. Again, like we talked about this before. Um, yes, the lesson is taught that like they're bad guys in a certain context. And like, it is the idea that like people are more important than plants, whether whatever we might think about that, like the idea that she's saying people need to be destroyed to save the planet is a subversive thing. Now, does she ultimately lose? Yes, but it's still in the film and it's still in a film for little kids. And like, I guess in a way you're right. It's teaching the lesson that she's wrong and he's right because she's the quote unquote yeah. bad guy. But the fact that the movie even goes there is really interesting. And I think, I think Schumacher deserves credit for not 
So one thing I've been thinking a lot about is like what legitimizes a superhero movie? Like what makes it legitimate? And I think that the movies that we're meant to take most seriously in these kind of franchises is the origin story. When there is a superhero sure. movie comes out where it's like witness the beginning. Like I remember when Batman Begins came out, it was like, holy shit, this is a new take on Batman and we're going to see the origin again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like whether we need that or not, it's a very clear way that they sell these movies as legit. I think a great example of that is the recent is the Joker where it's like, oh, we're really going to see the origins of this character. Whereas like in The Dark Knight, he doesn't have an origin. It's one of the subversive things about The Dark Knight is that the Joker, the Joker doesn't. doesn't have an origin story. And I think that that's fucking awesome in the context of that movie. And it's a little perverse to me that the lesson learned from that movie is like, let's make a Joker origin story, but we, we can get there later. So that's something that's sort of legitimizes these movies. And I don't, I think to Joel Schumacher's credit, he doesn't really care about that. He wants to make the movie he's going to make. But one thing that he does that makes it more interesting than it needs to be is have the characters have points of view. Yeah. And a lot of the time in superhero James Bond movies are a great example of this character. The villains don't have a point of view. The best James Bond film is in my mind is Skyfall because that guy has legitimate beef with the British government. And I think it's great that like they created a character who's like these fucking, it's not just like, I'm going to use my ray gun to destroy the planet. Yeah. I'm a cackling villain. And well, that's his origin story. I think that this movie does a better job of, of actually, of, of, I think this is a better movie than Batman forever. It's a more interesting uh, movie than Batman Forever. It's a clearer take on the character. There was a great piece in the AV Club that we'll link in the notes where he's like, at least this movie has a point of view. Batman Forever is this weird Frankenstein that has no point of I view. I think that's fair. I would say it's more interesting, sure. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, because I think Schumacher had more control. I mean, I was also more interested in the, in the sense of like, again, trying to, pro- trying to process the shittiness of this and thinking about, again, what do you do with a spectacle this size? That it's costs, a huge movie. That costs this much money. The Cost budget was something like 200 million. Between 160 and 225 yeah. million. And it only made 240. And to think about... Domestic, I think. I mean, obviously, the most obvious way to think about that is to think about, again, how terrible capitalism is. Sure. <laughs> that all of that money, all those resources, all that went into making this film could have viewed, could have been funneled somewhere else for something way more productive. Well, but you aside, can say that about it. I mean... But aside from that crime, yes, of course. Okay, there's the worst crimes. Um, to just think about again, this guy like sees every Marvel movie in the theater. What do you? Oh my god, I can't fucking wait for what's the next Black one? Widow. Black Widow. Oh, that should be okay. <laughs> Florence Pugh's in it. There's Little f- Women. What's up? There's four more coming out. Oh yeah, you didn't like Little Women because you're a Th- Philistine. That's that's not that's one of the best movies of the year. I did. I didn't like it. I was just like, oh, this is good, but I'm not like this is the greatest film. There of were all like time. three possible masterpieces that came out this year. I thought you hated that word. Four. I haven't seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but can't wait. Can't wait, but. Parasite, Uncut Gems, Rise Little of Skywalker. Women. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, Little Women is amazing. No, Florence Pugh is great. I love her. She's great. I still haven't seen Midsommar. Oh, it's, it goes somewhere. It goes, yeah, it sure goes it places. Goes, yeah, I know. I read the plot description. The it was like, no, too scary. Oh, yeah, too just scary. about the spectacle of it all. Just trying to make sense of it and how, what kind of a hot mess this is. I think also, see... It's yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Just again, like this is Schumacher's vision. I get that it should be campy. I get that it should be fun. I'm not against those things, but I'm also just at this age where I can't watch something where like literally every 30 seconds I'm getting like a bad pun and a bad joke about like a bad credit card or <laughs> about like like I stupid. want a car. Chicks dig the car. Chicks dig the car. His, his line reading. Works. Poor Chris O'Donnell. His line reading on that is is so bad. bad. I want a car. Chicks dig the car. Chicks dig the car. Um. So let's talk a little bit more about... So 
this movie was very badly received. We're talking almost more about how the movie was received. And like to be clear, Which is the movie is, is hard to watch. Like I it's it's a 2-hour movie. It took me at least 3 hours to watch it cuz I <laughs> I definitely had to stop at one point and vacuum cuz I was like I need a break from this thing. <laughs> I, I think I watched it in two sittings. Let me give you a quick uh, uh let me, I'm going to read a little bit of this from the Wikipedia article that came out. So very early on in the film, one of the first things you see is Batman and Robin putting on their bat and Robin gear. And there's um very specific shots of their Bat, bat cracks yeah. and <laughs> uh, bat, bat cod pieces and it's and their um, nipples i think you see the nipples and then you? you see the nipples yeah and so um if you listen to some of these reviews from the ni- late 90s when it came out uh, so like i want to so, so read this real quick some observers thought schumacher a gay man added possible homoerotic innuendo in the storyline. James Bernardinelli questioned the, quote, random amount of rubber nipples and camera angle close-ups of the dynamic dude's butts and back crotches. I didn't, I think I stole back crotch from him without realizing <laughs> it. LA Times wrote that the addition of, quote, the addition of nipples and a codpiece to Batman's costume may be the film's lasting legacy. Um, Chris O'Donnell felt, quote, it wasn't so much the nipples that bothered me. It was the cod piece. The press obviously played it up and made a big deal, especially with Joel direct directing. I didn't think twice about the controversy, but going back and looking and seeing some of the pictures, it was very unusual. Clooney, who admitted to purposely taking a subtle gay approach to his portrayal. It's huh. a weird thing for a straight dude to say. Later said, Joel Schumacher told me Batman was gay. Huh. Now, some of those articles some of those quotes in the maybe they're not homophobic but they don't read great now in context like oh why would they do that it's yeah weird well i mean what's also silly sorry to interrupt but what's also silly is that obviously the relationship is already latently homoerotic sure and i don't i think that this i mean god it's great that schumacher did it and leaned into it because nolan never would there's like if there's anything less if there's any less sexual filmmaker in the world it's Christopher Nolan and if there's ever one that is like more heteronormative it's Christopher Nolan it's he's heteronormative AF. yeah yeah and I mean you know I just think it's interesting um, it is kind of when see when you think about it that way it is interesting to think that this film that the homoeroticism in this film even got made yes well that it's so like literally in your face we joke about this all the time but. This is a pre-9-11 movie. I think that that is not to be underestimated because I think the culture took a, a swing in a different direction after... In terms of seriousness. Yeah, in terms of seriousness uh-huh. after 2001. But not necessarily in terms of, let's say, uh, portrayals of um, gay couples or, like, if anything, things are much better no, now but the, the, on and screen. I, and I don't say this agreeing with it, but I think that there's a way to contextualize or to watch that and to just find it harmless and funny. That you see like bad yeah, dick it, and well, whatever it's in Backcrotch. It's super campy and like it's, hell yeah. And it's supposed to be and disarming. Fine. Um, really quick quote from Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher stated, "Quote: I had no idea that putting nipples on the bat suit and Robin suit were going to dis- uh, to spark international headlines. The bodies of the suits come from ancient Greek statues, which display perfect bodies. They are anatomically correct. I think it's really interesting because I do think it's interesting how in this film, especially when you first see them before uh, before Robin says, I want a car, chicks dig the car. They are treated as like these gods, these well, like the, mythic. The, yeah. Because yeah. again, then the cameras are like panning also upwards a little bit right. Right, while they're getting like suited up and you see them in bits and pieces. Yeah. And yeah, totally. Like they're the physiques. Yeah. The, um, the contours of their bodies. Yeah, it's really and interesting. And I like how they like bodies. They, and they think they, they immediately undercut it with, the, I want a car because a, bat, a Batman film that treats the characters like gods would come out about 20 years later it's called batman v superman and it has 
almost no sense of humor. Correct. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I will say this though: Schumacher definitely better than Snyder. <laughs> I, oh, these are. I think these are more, more, more enjoyable. Definitely. Again, well, again, these are weirder. They're almost like a postmodern Batman. Those films are almost like post. They're just like so extreme in terms of they don't have like they just. I can't believe they exist in the form that they do. Even the Snyder ones. Or, yeah, no. they're just. I mean, I didn't see Justice League. It's so fucking bad. Yeah. Well, we're gonna watch it. Um. A couple, a couple other. So I, I think ultimately, like I, it's a noble. I actually think it's a pretty noble effort. Um, I think it's this is a hard thing to pull off. I think the 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 veil of of seriousness makes it a lot easier for Nolan to get away with the things that he gets away with. I mean, that Such whole thing as. is a ba- well, it's a whole thing is a balancing act. Like it's when when Dark Knight came out, it was and I like let me don't get me wrong, that movie blew my fucking mind. But like it doesn't it doesn't have the sense of humor to step back and go like this is ridiculous at any point there's maybe a couple of joke lines i'm sure there i don't remember it entirely remember the scenes in the dark knight where batman talks for you wanted to prove that nobody deep down everyone was as bad as you you were wrong people aren't that bad and he just (laughs) keeps talking and you're like stop because Please it's, it's really hard to take it seriously. Because I think Christopher Nolan was like, lean into the bad voice. Yeah. Whereas in the first one, he only does it like a couple times. And it's like the first time you see him and he's like, swear to me. It's great. But at a certain point, those movies get like close to absurdity and then pull back because they're much more conservative movies than the movies that Joel Schumacher made. Like they don't have the, they don't have the guts to wink. Yeah, and the wink is sure. Good. The, the wink the is wink, great. The Even the Burton films wink. Where does he get those wonderful toys? Yeah, you know? no, of like, course. I don't know. I honestly think I appreciate what Schumacher was trying to do more than now than I appreciate what Nolan did. Oof. I mean, again, I think I think there's one. They're not good. I think there's one thing to be again. I think there's one thing to be said about intentions. I think there's one thing to be. That's said That's what I'm about, saying, though. Yeah, but also again, you have to again contend with the art object as an art object, and even though let's Ugh. say. Okay, calm has, down, Heigl. To to count to to count to, to quote Kant. Oh my god! <laughs> no, I think again you have to just be like, well, yeah, maybe there's some kind of like interesting political commentary here, and it's there. Some of it already is there. Some of it does make it into the final product. Yes. But man, this film is just fucking bad. Like, like even if if even if we had like ten percent less puns, why if, is it so bad? If not, why is it so bad? Puns, puns. How about that? How about really bad jokes? How about none of these jokes are funny for anybody above the age of twelve? Okay, okay. Uh, we, live in like, a, we live in an imperfect world. How about like, do I really need another scene where Batman throws Robin into a pile of ice cream or whatever the fuck it is that he throws him into that green like m- mush? Oh yeah, which yeah, I think yeah. it might have been an ice cream factory. Yeah, because yeah. you know, uh, Mister oh, Freeze. Or do we need what killed the dinosaurs, George? The Ice Age. <laughs> or do we need? Uh, I mean, where's the lie? He's right. That's true. Or, 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 I mean, dinosaurs never or, existed. Didn't really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Um, do we need like again this really like over the top a horny like Robin, which is like so absurd? Yeah, I mean, so is a so is so is uh, a guy whose parents get murdered, and he's like, I need to become the bat. Strike. <laughs> like all of this is absurd. Yeah, of course. But then again, so is a film about I don't know this family that like infiltrates this rich family's life, and then finds out that there's somebody, there's people living in the basement. Yeah, but that movie's aware that it's absurd. Of course, but I'm saying that's the point. That so is this film, but it doesn't do anything well with it, or doesn't do anything good with it. Doesn't like. In case you're wondering, we were referencing. Four-time Oscar winner, winner. Parasite, uh, Bong Joon-ho. 
She's like, I'd rather I do- would watch the fuck out of a Bong Joon-ho Batman movie. Holy well, shit. Well, it's not going to happen. No, he won't do it. And God bless him. Because Bong's like, I'm God not fucking him. doing that. Yeah. I wonder what for he, him. I just see what he will do. Um, let's let's move off this political Please. thing. But I would say that... Um, Were we just talking about politics? I think that, w- that maybe the interpretation of a movie built solely... Like, to think about... It's to to contend with something as an art object. The portrayal of characters as good or bad is something that the movie does, and ultimately, consciously or subconsciously, that's a kind of commentary. But again, the ability to include in a children's movie a character saying something like, "Well, human beings are the problem," is pretty great. So there's um. Remember how I said we weren't going to talk about this? There's this literary theorist by the name of Jack Halberstam who wrote this book called I know who Jack Halberstam. Yeah, who wrote this book called um, shit, The Queer Art of Failure, and in it they write about how there's certain kind of children's films like Finding Nemo, Chicken Run that have all these kind of like subversive elements to them. Yes. So the reading in that book is that these films are in some sort of way against subversive, politically progressive because they are children's Isn't films. Isn't Chicken Run oh. about like unionizing and the... Something like yeah, that. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Mel Gibson's in it. Anti-Semite. Very famous anti-Semite. Mel Gibson's in it. <laughs> As a chicken, of course. As an anti-Semitic sure. chicken. <laughs> and the argument in that, again, in that book is that these films are in fact so subversive because they have all of these subversive... Yes. But the point also that, that Halberstam doesn't make and that I think is also applicable to this is that when those messages are couched in a product like this that is supposed to be absurd that is supposed to be so um considered kids entertainment Mm -hmm. the 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 form of it in some sort of way to me also dismisses the like the politically progressive aspects of it because again you are supposed to walk out of that thing whether or not let's say you agree or disagree with poison ivy you walk out of that film thinking to yourself, I just watched entertainment. It was fun. It was a stupid entertainment. It was a stupid kids film. That's all it is. So any messages that may or may not, let's say, be pol- politically progressive are couched in this. Again, because it's a kids film. Because it's a kids film or the medium is so, again, not to be taken seriously in this particular form. I see. That you dismiss anything of, let's say, serious critique in it. Just like mm. these uh, these films, like like oh, you're supposed to watch these. You're supposed to get these messages when you're a child. You're supposed to get them in a children's film, but eventually you grow up and you forget all those messages. It's a little you bit leave of that the idea behind. of like if you're young and you're uh, like a liberal, you have exactly you have, that yeah, bullshit. Or if idea. you're young and you're Repu- yeah, if you're young and you're you're conservative, you have no heart. If you're old and you're liberal, you have yeah no that bullshit bullshit right. thing. Can we talk about um, a tweet that you tweeted from the account? Yes, please. Maybe people will be interested in this. Maybe they won't be. I don't know. I might have been drunk when Um, I did this too, by the way, so I don't remember. uh, You tweeted on February 8th at 20... uh, February 8th, 2020 at 11 o'clock at night. I feel like I'm in like a... A photo of Alicia Silverstone saying, listen, this whole master-slave thing, it's really ridiculous. And you tweeted the exact moment at Liam G. Billingham finally made sense of Heigl's master-slave dialectic. Hashtag Batman and Robin. Hashtag Heigl. <laughs> hashtag German idealism. Let's talk more about this, George. Well, what please. do you mean? Well, no, it's just this interesting moment in which, obviously, the Hegelian master-slave dialectic. What is that? It's the process by which the slave comes to their own realization, their own kind of value of who they are in relationship to the work that they're doing right. for the master. So it's this kind of like flipping for a very brief moment of the power dynamics between the master and the slave. So like typically, obviously, it's the master, of course, who has the, the power. Master? The titular master. Ooh, if only. Wow. Yeah. Should bring that to bear 
to movies now available Paul on Thomas Netflix. Anderson's. I can't. I should go back and watch that film. It's so good. good. But so that obviously in this again dialectical relationship, the the master is initially or is in power, but obviously the master is beholden to the slave's work to uh, make the master who or what. But it's only a momentary. Is. So in the film, it's interesting. Yeah, I think one interesting thing again about the film is that Alfred does play this role that perhaps a kind of central role that mm-hmm. this version of Alfred doesn't play in any of the other the previous yes, three Yes, similar films. to uh, Michael Caine Michael Kane in Michael Kane. The Dark Knight Rises. Isn't there also a movie? Correct me if I'm wrong. I won't bury another I, Wayne. I won't bury I won't do it. I won't bury another Wayne. Anyway, uh, so he plays a bigger role. Yeah, is there, is there I'm, am I misremembering, a moment in the... Oh, no, maybe I'm thinking about DuckTales. <laughs> Remember the butler in DuckTales? So, do you think... Sorry, no, seriously. There, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The so, butler. there's an episode in DuckTales in which the butler, I think, is abducted by aliens. And I should you not. That's definitely not Batman. And thing. they say something like, oh, aren't you like a slave back home? And he says like, no, I'm a butler because I want to be a butler. Mm. And I'm like, ooh. But then I was like, is there a moment in the Batman animated series where the same thing happens with Alfred? There where might is it, be. Where he's abducted by aliens. No, I'm kidding. But where he kind of says like, no, I do what I do. Not because I'm a slave to capitalism, but because I want to be a butler. Um, so are you saying that servant. it's potential that uh, that the Batman and Robin is smuggling a... The Batman a, and Robin. A, a bat, the, that they're smuggling a, a Hegelian smugglers. master slave dialectic commentary no, not at all okay i'm just saying because it's a children's movie fuck off that was my reading of it let's talk about some other hey, things hey george yeah go fuck yourself hey george go fuck yourself let's talk about a couple th- other things Hegel right um, uh, <laughs> um bruce wayne's a piece of shit in this movie correct um, that. i like the we never see the the murder of his parents correct but i do appreciate that the movie flashbacks like Clooney will look up and he'll be looking at like a desk or something and it will show him reading a book with Alfred or, or something little, like yeah. that. Little I Bruce. like those moments a little bit. I think they're really interesting. Well, it makes it more evident that Alfred is obviously the father figure, right. the, the, fam, the only family that he has, well, which he explicitly al- says. And it also is interesting because we're watching all these kind of like superhero movies and how they can attempt to give a character who's kind of become one note or a part of the popular conscious a character arc in each film and i appreciate that they do attempt to do that in this movie it's not just a superhero thing um batman is not very interesting in this movie he's more interesting than bruce wayne i think that bruce wayne is just kind of the perpetual bachelor um we're going to talk about batman mask of the phantasm in a few weeks which i think has one of the most interesting portrayals of bruce wayne in of of any of the superhero but like he's kind of a little bit both as batman and as bruce wayne a little bit kind of like somnambulant in this movie if that's the right word like just sleepwalking yeah he's just not really i should have just said sleepwalking fucking elitist pretentious um it just doesn't really do much for me and i don't i'm still trying to figure out if there's some kind of unifying thesis about bruce wayne or the portrayal of him in the way that we kind of thought about alpha beta phil hoffman in season two i don't know what it is for bruce wayne yet but this film doesn't really give me that much to go with except that this is like him as shittiest millionaire billionaire well well, again yeah you don't have none of these films explicitly except maybe there's a gesture towards it in that last nolan film but about uh the critique of him as a billionaire 
like the obvious critique of him as a billionaire. You, we still haven't gotten that. Well, and I think it's interesting how in the Nolan, I do think that Bruce Wayne in the Nolan films is interesting, and I do think having him as like a playboy in the first movie is is pretty is pretty. I just imagine like the ultimate again the ultimate Batman villain would be like somebody called like the Tax Man, just some like bureaucrat goes up to like Bruce, like Batman. <laughs> Batman's like, who are you? It's like, oh, I just I work I for the you, IRS. Do you mind? Can we? I need to look at some of your 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 taxes. Yeah, you have like these offshore accounts, dude. Like the numbers aren't adding up. How dare you? I'm not supposed to give you these other books. I, we retweeted. Um, those books are in the Cayman we Islands. Retweeted. <laughs> you're not supposed to see those. You're like no, but I my mean, bad accountant will yeah. deal with that. I just your your rate here, like it, it's weird. Your percentage wise, your butler is paying higher taxes than you are. <laughs> That's neither a, here nor there. There's you clearly have a mental illness. I'm going to lock you up in Arkham Asylum. <laughs> there's a guy Paul Kruger uh, at not like Freddy on Twitter who um, was talking is doing like a tweeting a Justice League political this conversation funny, yeah. earlier and there's Superman saying we can all agree that there's never ever 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 been a good billionaire and then Batman doesn't say anything and then Superman says ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good stuff. It is really um, good stuff. Robin is uh, poor Chris O'Donnell just. Doing all he can, not much. To Laughing all his way to the bank, though. Um, I do think the idea of them fighting over a girl is pretty interesting, and there is a little no, bit of a funny, kind scene. of misogynistic. Well, yeah, but it's still it's <laughs> funny. With there's a scene where he's like, I can't believe we we're fighting over a girl. And Batman's Batman says, <laughs> Robin says something like, "Nice roses, though." And Batman says, "Yeah, good stems. Oh, nice stems, good buzz." And you're just like, Jesus, this is so stupid. But Clooney's funny, and he commits to it. And yeah, it's, no, it's, I mean, yeah, there's some. Laugh. I forgot Clooney there was another moment too where I laughed. Clooney's laugh. one of those awful. Uh, talented, handsome men who's also quite funny, and it's infuriating. Fuck that guy. Um, yeah, this movie is not very good, but I think we should give it a little more credit than. Well, again, I give it credit do. for it attempting to do some interesting things, but yeah, failing miserably. Um, man, and also like Alicia Silverstone's character, they don't really do much with her. I know they give her that motorcycle scene with the race. Oh, again, the kind of problematic gang portrayals that exist in Batman Forever, yeah. which is kind of like Day of the Dead. I do appreciate that there's that continuity. There's a couple of things that are interesting about the movie in terms of continuity. You're right, they don't really do anything with her character, but I think, if you recall in Batman Forever, Bruce Wayne at one point says to Dick Grayson when he's leaving, the circus must be halfway to Metropolis, Metropolis by now. There's a line in this movie where Batman says, this is why Superman works alone. The very beginning. Yeah, one of the first really lines. Um, real quick, I found a documentary on YouTube that's like the cinematic saga of the Dark Knight and it's an incredibly earnest documentary right? which was made after the fact where they're talking about what went wrong with the movie but they interview Val Kilmer and he was like... Not the Dark Knight, you mean... Um, after the Batman and, the Robin. Batman and Robin. But the movie is... The, the series is called The Cinematic Saga oh, okay. of the Dark Knight. And uh, they're, like they're kind of talking about what doesn't. They interviewed George Clooney. He's like, "Yeah, the movie doesn't work." But at one point, Val Kilmer didn't know they were making another movie because they fast tracked it. Normally, there were three yes. years between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a better movie if if Kilmer had come back. I mean, again, I think it's geez, so many bad things with it. Like, would Kilmer really have? I don't know. It? I think Clooney, Clooner, Clooner. Weren't they going to make good. a fifth one? There was a fifth there, one yeah, planned. Batman Unchained. Batman Unchained, and obviously because this was not a success. This did not well. Did they they had to didn't they wait until two thousand five? I think Batman to reboot Unchained. it. What a terrible. It's name. a terrible title. Remember Batman and Robin and Batgirl. <laughs> Batman and Robin and Batgirl. Yeah. And uh, and Aquaman, but there's a line in the very early in the movie where in this where Superman says or Batman says this is why Superman works alone. And I'm really curious what a Joel Schumacher Superman would look like. It'd be it'd be interesting. Yeah, again, probably mm. better than the Snyder ones. Oof, take that. Take, take that, Zach. Yeah. I know you're listening, Zach. Take Go that, We're Zach. coming for you. Um, 
I do not like this movie. I think Same. it has more going for it than we give it. It is a hard movie. So I watched this on a stall. I, I watched Batman Forever on a large <laughs> television set. I watched this on a small 10-inch tablet because that's the situation I'm in right now. And I do not think I did the movie any any favors oh, watching Liam, it on a small screen. Oh, my wife is so No, I just think, I think that it might maybe would work better in a movie theater. Maybe. Yeah. But maybe not. I'm never going to pay money to see this in really? a movie theater. Oh, I would. I mean, I paid money to fucking rent it, and I kind of feel bad. I kind of feel ripped off. Um, one theme that we didn't talk about that this movie is about is trying to stop death, which I think is really interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, Batman, or Bruce Wayne wants to stop Alfred's death. McGregor's Mr. Freeze syndrome. is trying to stop his wife's yeah, death. Yeah, good point. Um, it's Poison Ivy's trying to stop the death of the planet. Death of the planet. Um, Born death of all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's things that this movie's going for. It just doesn't ultimately work. <laughs> and uh, I just love that you keep like apologizing for it, though, or like trying. Like, I wish it were better. I really wish, because I would have, I would have loved to kind of episodic. Who doesn't want to root for like a good movie? Cheesy, yeah, a good, totally. Like Batman movie. Um, so we are we're gonna wrap this one up. Next up, Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. Then we're gonna Woo! jump back and talk about 1966 Batman Woo! before Mark making our way into. Uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman. Films. Yeah, we're actually we're there's not that many Batman movies. We're running out of Batman movies. We're running out of Batman, but not Batman adjacent movies. stuff. Um, yeah, but we'll uh we'll be back soon. And uh, thanks for listening. And um, we hope you had a ice time. Oh, oh yeah. Don't I'm... give us the cold shoulder on oh, social media. Oh yeah, please rate, review, subscribe to the show. Oh, I thought you were gonna make another bad. Um, cold. We can, we can, we have the 22, 20, Shut up. We sorry, have 22 sorry. reviews, and they're good. I can't think of any more <laughs> great ice jokes. Um, we can always use more ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. And um, if you're if you're only tuning in now, we have two seasons previous. One about John Cassavetes, whose film Husbands, which inspired this entire series, is now coming out on the Criterion Collection in May. What? Oh, that's what you were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was yelling that to you while you were it. in the shower. Yeah. Um, which is weird because I was in the shower with you. Uh, yeah. And I then mean, our second season was about it's like, Liam. I'm right here. Don't George, fucking sorry. yell at me. God, that's the water. Can't enjoy running. the shower. Oh, I'm trying to enjoy the shower. Um, and uh, and then our second season was on Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, the one. And the we're only. planning our fourth season, which I'm very excited about. Of course, yeah. But we have to figure out if that's ultimately where we're because we're going to do the uh, films of ed wood we're going to do the film Maybe ed not. wood we're going to do the films of um we're going to do the entire uh, uh animaniacs series Ooh, that would be a lot jesus christ all right uh well i'm i was liam billingham and i was george Fragopoulos. and this was is and will be oeuvre busters what killed the dinosaurs i can't think of any of his other <laughs> fuck okay bye bye, bye.